Greetings, outcast, free thinkers, narrative questioners, dot connectors, and genuinely open-minded and outright curious inhabitants of whatever realm we exist in at the moment. You are about to embark on another free first hour episode of The Notes. If you find yourself wanting to dig deeper and have the desire to join the conversation during our monthly Melt meetups, you might want to consider becoming a monthly subscriber. For as little as three lousy Babylon hokey pokey tokens per month, you can have access to full-length, early, and exclusive episodes. Just visit patreon.com slash themeltpodcast or click the link in the episode notes to set the process in motion. It's simple, painless, and very well might make you feel tingly inside. So without further ado, please enjoy the show! This is Hunter Muse. And this is Chris Snipes. And you are listening to The Melt. Whatever you want to call this loose little funky community of ours, it's an important one. It's gotten us through these past three years. It helps us to feel less insane and isolated and helps to reassure us that there are still some open-minded folk in the world who find it important to ask questions, self-reflect, and have a passionate curiosity about this realm that we find ourselves in. It's important to build bridges, make connections, and have conversations about things that challenge our perceptions and broaden our horizons. That being said, even our community can be subject to hearsay and hysteria. So the questioning shouldn't end at the answers that we want to hear. The self-reflection shouldn't stop when we get to the boundary of our comfort level. We've got to encourage each other to get past those things in a way that needn't be confrontative. We can bolster and help one another in ways that help us to realize and work through our previous limitations. Today's guest is Andy Rouse from the Deep Share podcast, who is here to chat with us about his take on many concepts that some of you might even hold sacred. We like to have our preconceived notions challenged, and I can't think of a better person to do just that. I start off the conversation by asking Andy what it was that first brought him to the types of things that he talks about on his podcast. Well, so I've been doing it since early 2020, but I've been into these subjects since I was 17 years old, 18 years old back in the early 2000s. 
Um, what started for me was psychedelics because I was, um, you know, a rebellious young teenager smoking pot, listening to death metal and fuck the system. You know, that was my attitude, but I had never done psychedelics. And once that happened, my whole perspective on everything changed. I mean, I literally had to face the fact that my senses have been hiding most of reality and, and just it, there was so much to, un, to unpack. Um, but one thing that did it for me was that I had been rallying so hard against Western religion in mm. my youth and kind of following all the, I actually made a post about this earlier about rock star atheists, how atheists, yeah. scientists, uh, psychologists, philo- philosophers, mathematicians, those types of people became like rock stars in the early 2000s yes. and even before them, but I caught on to it then. And, um, you know, we would friggin' go to like, de- like university debates and buy tickets. Like we were going to metal shows. We yeah. were so pumped to like get the church, man. But like, then I did psychedelics and it was like, Whoa, okay. Atheism is not, is a uh, too easy of an answer here. And That's you true. know, so everything changed for me at that point. So I ended up in bookstores and libraries for years and just reading dead people <laughs> in every category, history, symbolism, religion, philosophy, just you name it, science. Mm-hmm. By psychedelics, you mean shrooms, LSD? What? Started with shrooms for me. Yeah. Mushrooms were the most intense and uh, mind melting, ego devouring, all, all that kind of stuff uh, experience. And then, yeah, I did a lot of LSD and DMT things like that. But shrooms, yeah, those were always uh, extremely personal, in my opinion. People always talk about how acid is so intense. And, oh, I would do shrooms, but I wouldn't do acid. Mm. I'm like, well, I've had a lot more of a perma-smile and, like, just love pouring all over me on acid compared to, like, the introspective deep dive that I've had on shrooms, you know? Shrooms I mean, both. it can happen either way. Absolutely. (laughs) Shrooms can be kind of heavy. I remember one time I usually just wharf them down raw and, you know, follow it with some food or something like that. But somebody had the idea to make tea, and it was Mm. so sedative. Like, it just fucking, I felt like I weighed, like, 600 pounds and it just sort of sinking into the couch like a sack of lead and everything just felt so heavy it didn't help that we had Einstein de Neubauten on that we were listening to and it just <laughs> it felt not good it was not a good it was very very sluggish spiritually mm. dark yeah so that's the last time I did mushroom tea but you prefer tea don't you I definitely prefer tea because I have a sensitive tummy. Uh-huh. So gotcha. that would be my wife too. Yeah. yeah. She, if, if she were to do it, she'd probably go with the tea. <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel like what is interesting about doing psilocybin is that it's its own energy. And so every time you take it, it's a different experience. There's not one, one, baseline that you can say okay this is what it's going to be it's one channel the plant and how the plant accepts you and how it was grown and where it was grown and i really mm. love that about it so you have That's to be cool. in, in the right mindset and there's been times when i've taken it and i've been with the wrong people oh, and yeah. i've talked myself out of the trip and i've yeah. said nope we're not going down 
we're not taking it this time. And I and I could sober myself up, which really? is really wow. interesting. Huh. That's yeah. a superpower. No <laughs> shit. There have been times I, mean, I, I wished. Guess, man, yeah, I've never had that. Ex- I mean, I've had the experience where uh, trips come in waves where mm-hmm. like suddenly you do feel completely sober and you're like you get to kind of review the insanity for a few minutes <laughs> yes but then all of it's like oh it's coming back <laughs> waves. i can't speak english anymore you know it's yeah <laughs> exactly i get i tend to be paired with people who can't stop talking which is good because i can't start talking yeah that's me yeah are you the talker or the listener i'm the one that's making all the similes it's like it's like it's like oh my god it's like <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to laugh at you because I can't form a fucking sentence. I don't even remember what my first language is, much less my yeah. third or fourth. Yeah. So I, so DMT, I'm jealous. You, you have obviously uh, some kind of a, I kind of <laughs> messaged you earlier today to see <laughs> if cool. you had some, uh, some steady hookup on that, but it's, I find even close. No, it's a funny story how I even have the DMT that I'm may or may not be in possession with. (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, 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 I asked a friend of mine. It's kind of one of those friends that uh, he's in, he's, he's a, he's a biker. So he's in with a lot of interesting people Uh and uh, he can get anything, you know? And so I asked him if he had any, this was a couple of years back and he, he's, he said, yeah, I'll ask this guy. I know. And he gets back to me. He's like, I got it for you. And it's free. I'm like, why is it free? He's like, well, because the guy told him or the guy told me that the angels told him to stop profiting from it. So wow. he gave it to me for free. And cool. It's yours now. I'm like, oh, wow. That's interesting. Fantastic. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So I've read about it for decades, but I've never had an experience with it. I've tried ayahuasca once, but DMT oh, wow. is still my, still my goal. Yes. Mm. Did you have pretty, I mean, were they transformative experiences? I've only broken through once Mm -hmm. and the breakthrough is like almost like a repressed memory. Interesting. In fact, I'm probably one of the only people that has reported that my salvia divinorum experiences were more, um, I've been able to take more back from them than the very couple times I've done DMT. Mm -hmm. Uh, I technically have done it three times, but one time it wasn't really a breakthrough, but it's a, it's a totally different story altogether, but I can tell that later. But the salvia divinorum in particular was insanely powerful. Yeah. And uh, in ways that I wish I could have written down all the details so I could ponder for thousands of years because the just, yeah, whatever was coming out of consciousness under those specific chemical circumstances was the most interesting thing I've ever witnessed. Yeah. Salvia is definitely a strange, strange creature, strange beast. Mm. I remember the last most intense. No, it wasn't the last one. It was the second to last one. But I remember uh, my friend left his bong over at my house and I had some of this salvia because it was legal in Kansas, which is where we're at. Uh, for a while, and then all these stupid fucking YouTube videos kept getting posted of everybody having bad trips, and and the legislators took cues from that for some reason and decided to make it illegal. Mm. Uh, so I bought up as much as I could from the local head shops, and they had some, I think, 20-time uh, potency, 
And so I put a little in his bong and I took two very deep hits. And as I was letting the smoke out of the the last hit, I immediately completely lost track of time. And I, and I thought like, I, I started thinking, do I, did I just, do I have friends over that are visiting and I've just left them in the living room and I'm in here, I've been in doing salvia for hours and hours and like all this, these strange paranoid scenarios started going off in my, I mean, I, they didn't, they didn't freak me out or anything. I thought they were kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for some reason I, I rationalized that, okay, I need to check and see if these people are in the living room because they could have been sitting there for hours and hours and hours. So how I, I thought that would, you know, would be the proper etiquette to do that was to walk backwards to my living room. And uh, I don't know where the rationalization from that came from, but it seemed to make sense at the time. And, and needless to say, I didn't have any friends in the living room and I'd been on salvia for all of two and a half minutes. But it immediately <laughs> fucked up my sense of time so much that I was utterly disoriented. Did you, do you yeah. have time shit with the salvia? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This time was unreal. Uh, both ways too. Mm-hmm. I've experienced it where the time dilation was so massive that it felt like I had been just like in the desert of mind for <laughs> centuries yes. with like wind and sand blowing over me as I <laughs> decayed. It just, but then, you know, things would happen instantaneously too. It was just, it was wild. Yeah. yeah. Very cartoony. Yes. Very, um, everything was a joke. Everything was like, not sinister, but I felt like I was the butt of the joke in some way. <laughs> like there was a kick me sign on my back. <laughs> a cosmic kick very, me sign. Very cryptic. That's for huh. sure. I, again, I wish I could have like recorded all the details but nothing made any sense you know yeah i guess it's interesting to know that people do there are cultures that uh consider that a sacrament and use that it must not have been the way in which i was doing it you know i I don't know because i there was no uh comprehension there was not a lot of comprehension Mm -hmm. to what was going on it was just like yeah yeah it's (laughs) strange Catherine harrison Terrence McKenna's ex-wife uh, mm-hmm. has a good set of videos on YouTube that are supposed to be a guide, a good context for doing salvia. Uh, I've only gotten through the first one, and I was like, fuck it, I'm going to smoke salvia anyway. Um, <laughs> but I need to go back and really watch those. But I've always had the visual, like, whatever I'm seeing, it's like um, it's like it's printed on a stack of, say, giant playing cards and then somebody takes the whole deck and smears it to the left so everything sort of gets smeared diagonally and then it just mirrors fun hall fun house mirrors into infinity it's it's fucking that reminds crazy. me of dmt oh yeah oh. But yeah did the, you the what's the word um seeing life through like a prism in a way mm-hmm. and almost like normal reality and my memory and personality and everything was just one little sliver of that, that light, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, Oh yeah. Forgot about that. I forgot about me. And are yeah, there, are yeah. there any beings with you in that state or are you by yourself typically? The only time I've ever had, um, an intelligent, uh, encounter, if you will, was on, 
eight grams of mushrooms. Mm. That was the only time ever. And um, I was comfortable for a long time, just like, and I still am kind of using the word God as a placeholder. Mm-hmm. Not that I necessarily can define that word in the spiritual sense, you know, but whatever is going on on the other side, the message was really simple. And it felt first like the most um, endearing a hug I've ever had. And I felt more at home and it felt like, you know, every family member and loved one ever combined in a, you know, that's something Mm. just so unbelievably powerful and humbling yet comforting. Um, And the message was simply that it's okay it's always been okay. It's always okay. And it always will be okay. And it was pure gnosis. It wasn't just like, Oh, cool. I'll take that into consideration. It was like the absolute knowledge, the, the proof, I guess you could say of why those statements were absolutely true and indestructible. But, uh, can't remember why no logic was attached that's <laughs> yeah, the problem of course as soon as you come back you're dealing with the logical side of the brain and the brain does wild things with that ineffable experience like builds churches or mosques or all mm. kinds of things yeah exactly <laughs> have you ever tried to do any recordings of those experiences like during the experiences no honestly no, nothing really um it's it's unfortunate, but I think it's kind of um, poetic in a way mm. that uh, I have a podcast now as a you know an older adult, but <laughs> in my youth, so much um, interesting uh, wisdom, I guess you could say, came out of conversations in those states, and mm. we would always leave a room saying, "Man, it's too bad we didn't record that," you know. <laughs> yeah. And, so I'm glad to be here now doing these kinds of conversations and it's good that it's been years and years so I can look back. But at the same time, it's been years and years and I'm like teetering on the edge, like of whether I should do it ever again. You know, I don't yeah. even know if my, the ego I've built since then can handle it. You know? <laughs> do you do the, the, uh, kind of mandate that's set and setting is important for you. So are you, are you an outdoor person when you, when in those experiences or did you do it like in your house? I always thought it was very, because I grew up in, well, I grew up in the seventies, but I was doing psychedelics a lot in the eighties. And I found it interesting that people would go to clubs yeah, and at, uh, and there's certain drugs I could go to a club on cocaine for sure, yeah. um, <laughs> ecstasy for ecstasy, sure. Yeah, I could day. go dance in a club, but mushrooms, anything like that. I just wanted to be outside. I wanted to be in nature, ocean, mm-hmm. like anywhere that was more grounded, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. How about you? Did you feel like you wanted to be in a natural setting, or you could be you know, at your local pub. <laughs> well, I, I definitely agree with you about the, uh, like the clubbing or the pubs or something. I'd never liked that situation at all. Um, I couldn't handle it. I was too into the experience to be able to manage social situations, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I know that some people are like, well, that's half the fun of it. I have friends like that. And it's like, cool, go for it. That's clearly not what, um, 
my personality is geared towards. Yeah. Um, I've done it alone in a closet, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's more of my, my thing. Um, it doesn't have to be outside, but outside was always an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, night versus day was also something fun to play with because both were beautiful yeah. mm -hmm. sunrises and sunsets yeah. and you can get as deep as you want into those themes. But like, man, one time it was just a few of us really good friends, you know, three people that had grown up together since we were six together. Mm at a house that we had ridden bikes around and to wow. all our lives. So it was a really perfect experience uh, for LSD. And, you know, just had a big ass blanket out on the backyard, perfect New England uh, summer night, frogs mm. chirping in the background. Everything was beautiful. Uh, I was having a rough time, mm. but because of the set and setting, nothing went wrong. It was just simply that the LSD wasn't like sitting well with me. Like yeah. I wasn't, I guess my mind wasn't in the right place. Who knows? Um, I didn't have any deep revelations or anything on that trip, but it was a very sensual kind of trip. But because of the set and setting, it made everything okay. Two best friends outdoors in nature, you know, everything was okay. I do feel that, that when you're outside tripping, uh, there's, I don't know. There's less of a governor on the situation in the sense mm. that like you're more able to let the experience take control mm -hmm. and uh, let, let it flow. When you're inside, you might have a lot of different attachments that you could look to. And I don't know, I'm just spitballing, but I know that that's what I got from nature. It always felt like everything was, ah, oh, we'd go outside because it felt like our lungs got bigger and yeah. ever, the space around us, we got bigger, you know? because we were the environment, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I totally get it. I I found that if I was in a club setting on uh, MDMA, the filter went away. So, mm. I was saying things to people that were probably inappropriate, <laughs> like calling them out on their shit, like that, like you could see Can we do this tomorrow yeah exactly <laughs> you, you could see like the the truth of someone and then just going up and saying that which is not always what someone wants to hear when they're not on mdma <laughs> right. you know? for instance so so that that i've i kind of quickly learned that's probably not the best idea to do that uh yeah. but and and it it really interesting experience in my 30s was renting a house that was owned by a set director and art director in California in Joshua Tree. So he had like 3000 books and not a TV oh and the the just being in Joshua Tree with all these amazing rocks and being able to be indoor and outdoor was yeah really an amazing experience because you had the insular safety of being in a house, but no Wi-Fi, no TV, no, no media to kind of penetrate your reality. And I really enjoyed that, but I do agree. It has to be that there's an alchemy to the combination of the people and the place that you're in. 
Yeah. And, and again, it's about, you know, our personalities. Uh, it seems like you and I have that, that similarity in that case. Um, I, like a good friend of mine, total opposite, you know, he would be the one to take way too much acid or at least yes. from my perspective. Yeah. At one instance, we were at uh, what we call up here in Massachusetts, Zoo Mass, uh, which is U- University of Massachusetts out mm-hmm. in the sticks. And it's just the party place. And he took way too much. And just we, he disappeared for for like a day. And he just went all over campus saying hi to everybody dressed in a ridiculous Halloween costume. It was just great. You know, it, it, I can't do that. I could never, if someone unexpected showed up, it was like, yes. what's happening? Does exactly. this mean something? Do I, should I stand up? Exactly. What's happening? Right? Is he going to fuck with my entire <laughs> reality? I sit down again? Yeah. yeah. I'm the same way. Totally. I know oh. I had friends who could take acid at their mom's funeral if, if they felt like it. Like, no, thank you. Oh. No, I need to be in a very safe place. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, our fragile egos, right? <laughs> exactly. Like I was, uh, me and my friend were camping at my grandma's, on my grandma's land. And, you know, the night had gone by, we'd peaked. We were coming down, but still very much feeling it. And we were kind of out in the boonies, but our fucking radio batteries died. We were really digging the music. So it's like, should we take the chance and go into civilization and get some batteries? And we finally, for some stupid ass reason, decided to do that. And then billboards became more and more uh, uh, present. And then we finally get to the fucking convenience store and walk in. And the first thing I see when I look over to my side is this older lady sort of hunched over the counter talking to the clerk there. And she's got a huge bloody gash on her forehead and there's blood dripping down her face. And she's asking the clerk who's probably all of 18 years old, can can I just use the phone? These, these guys, they came and they hurt me or I didn't I didn't understand exactly what she was saying and she said I can't let you use the phone it's only for employees and then the the woman said then can I have a Dr. Pepper like (laughs) holy fuck let's get back in the woods yeah (laughs) it was like fucking fear and loathing in Lebanon Missouri it was Horrible. Yeah, there's no way of describing the terror that I felt. <laughs> yes, exactly. At least she wasn't reptilian, but oh yeah, my lord. Yeah, you're getting the fear. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. And fear that gotten. is real. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, okay, psychedelics got you into these sorts of subjects. What then pushed you into wanting to share this stuff in a podcast form? So... In, I think it was like 2016 or 17, I got introduced to, um, I think it was Higher Side Chats with uh, Greg Carlwood by a friend of mine who was really conspiratorial. And I had been conspiratorial forever, but like after psychedelics and after a few years, uh, specifically in 2008, I, I kind of... I just watched all my rebel friends, everyone that was like kind of against the government with me kind of suddenly start to think that the good guys got into the government. And I just watched a whole wave of my generation get swept right up into the machine. And yep. that's mm. kind of how it's been ever since. And I got into wicked heavy alcohol right around the same time. Mm. And just literally my mentality was I'm going to pull up a lawn chair and watch this motherfucker burn. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. it was all over. Um, 
so i just spun out of control just like was living the party life for a long time and not paying attention to any of this shit because yeah. i knew there was no hope in there like i just felt like there was no hope and because there was no one to listen to me either sure you know like i yeah. had those particular psychedelic experiences definitely had some good conversations with select friends uh during those experiences but when it came to the overall picture of everything and how deep i went into the psychedelics in particular like I didn't share that with a lot of my friends or they didn't share it with me. Like we didn't have that in common. Yeah. They would be done talking about things at the end of the day, you know? So I didn't have this community around me, you know? And so after hearing higher side chats and then tinfoil hat and just all these different podcasts all over the board, um, I was like, I want to be a part of this because I used to do this kind of stuff when I was younger. Like my friend and I, uh, did a joke band. We did a, an early podcast before, like right when podcasting was like, take like Joe Rogan was still in his basement, you know, mm -hmm. um, like still barely doing the podcast. So like, I was always interested in doing these kind of things anyway. Um, but now it was like kind of the opportunity, like maybe there's a reason for it. Like we're all kind of waking up or something. The world is shooken up right now. And maybe I, I, th this might be my chance to actually get my perspective into the mix mm -hmm. instead of just yelling at my radio as I'm driving, you know, <laughs> no, you got it wrong or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? And so that's kind of how it started. I tried to start with a co-host and it, it didn't work at all the way I was, we were doing, we were just on completely different pages. So sure. then I started the deep share and just started interviewing as many people that would uh, respond to my emails, you know, and <laughs> started making a lot of noise on Twitter. And that's how it, how it happened. Cool. Yeah, I think what first put me on your or put you on my radar was hearing you on Forbidden Knowledge uh, one time. And you were critical of things that a lot of people in the community, our community, however you want to say it, were just accepting without question. Um, yeah. things like, uh, uh, near death experiences, ancient aliens, all that you, aliens in general. Uh, and you were questioning that. And I think that that's, I find that refreshing because I see so much of that stuff regurgitated without question at all or without any reflection. And I thought that that was like, huh, I got to keep my eye on this guy. So <laughs> cool. What, what, uh, let's just go into some of that, I guess. What, sure. Yeah. It does feel kind of like we're like at this point in those kind of communities, those sub communities, it just feels like everybody's like just trading Pokemon cards at this point. <laughs> and there's nothing new coming into it from their perspective, especially from the UFO disclosure perspective. My God, we're just relying on the enemy. We're sleeping with the enemy to give us the truth. It's yeah, hilarious. Exactly. It's the Stockholm syndrome of a lifetime. For sure. It's like, I, I need to have validation from my abusive father. It's like, why <laughs> the was, fuck do yeah, you have that to was, have that one? Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't it. make any sense whatsoever. So what do you think? I mean, do you think that these, aliens are something from another planet i don't know what your take on the cosmology as far as flat earth round earth whatever yeah. whether whether you even are concerned with that but mm. do you what what do you think that that is do you think they're my labs so i think this is a, a really uh it's like the center of my 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 questioning you know mm -hmm. um I think it's a huge topic and I think all the right people in all the right places say all the right things mm. that allude to what I'll say here. But of course they frame it under uh, intelligences like interdimensional 
aliens or or something like that or just physical aliens Mm -hmm. Uh, they allude to it coming from the earth possibly instead of from space Mm -hmm. so they have all these feelers out there to shape the community kind of or at least uh frame it in the right way but to me uh the mystery is consciousness the mystery is what we're swimming in and what we are and how we're connected and what what that psychedelic experience really is. And, you know, um, I think in a way they have been able to kind of obfuscate that through, uh, how do I put this? The personification of what is pure consciousness or us or the mystery of what whatever this sacred other is that we've been talking about since the yin yang was first drawn mm-hmm. and interpreted as a fish chasing its own tail wondering if there was another fish mm-hmm. and i think that's the heart of this question and that's why lou elizondo and other people even in military government positions will say things like this would melt everybody's brain man like we got to be piece by piece we got to do it slow because this would really what if everything you've been taught everything you think you know is wrong it's like yeah all that's true Mm -hmm. that's true about the mystery but they're going to tell you this is how you should look at it right and and in my opinion because of my research into history and folklore and mythology uh the spiritual aspect of religion looks very much like the same psyop that's going on in modern times with aliens. It's the same psyop, just new language, up to upgraded language in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can stop there for, well, it's interesting that you say that because I have, you know, in my research and readings of like Stephen Hawking, for example, one thing that he said that really kind of struck me, and this is years and years ago, he said that, well, it's fascinating that we have to anthropomorphize aliens, that they have to have legs and arms and eyes and look human, in quotes, or have human-like characteristics. Humanoid, yeah. And one thing that he said is it's probably more likely that it would be a nebulous gas that would be an alien than a arm and leg little blue man that we have been that that uh, narrative that we've been fed and you know one thing that he said in in kind of elucidating that thought is we shouldn't necessarily be urging this encounter to happen because we don't know what this would be or how this would interact with the human experience. So I've always found that fascinating that when aliens are, are discussed, it is, you know, ET or it's, you know, this kind of frightening version of Whitley Strieber, but it's always this two arms, two legs, eyes, you know, so yeah. I, I don't know. What what are your thoughts about that? Do you think that well, that version is what is real in quotes? No, no, I don't. I don't. There's definitely a connection between like the gray aliens and what Crowley drew during Mm -hmm. channeling that lamb or there's another word for it, but that's too uncanny, right? Uh, There's something there that means something. 
-hmm. I, I do think that that gray archetype reptilian that's a different story that's misinterpretation of symbolism in my opinion and it comes mm -hmm. directly from people like zachariah sitchin who have been eviscerated when it comes to linguistics yeah. mm -hmm. and i and i don't mean that as like some shill for the mainstream like i listen to this establishment linguist so therefore sitchin is wrong no Sitchin's wrong, <laughs> you know, um, but the gray alien thing that there's something to it. I'm, and I'm definitely not trying to say that uh, none of it is real by no, like none of it is uh, entities that we are unaware of, but there's a lot of interesting connections between, um, well, a lot of subjects that are real hard to talk about, like like what the Nazi tech was, was, uh, was mm -hmm. at the time and what they were working with, like the mm -hmm. Vril society and all yeah. that kind of, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and what we see in the skies today. And, you know, when you think about paperclip, well, why, why does the public have a version of paperclip? Why, why would they ever allow us to know that if it was something that we would, Oh my God, like we're working with Nazis. Like, what are you talking about? So I think there's a way to like rationalize this in human terms on some scale, mm -hmm. but at the same time, they lace all of it with allegory and metaphor to all of our sacred spiritual texts and spiritual ideologies. They connect them all together. And Mr. Lou Elizondo is a big proponent of that. Mr. He's like, he reminds me of a guy that's supposed to look like an uncle flipping burgers in a commercial. Like, and I swear that's like literally his target audience. Like that will buy that. I'm like, Oh, he looks like my uncle. He's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I, he puts that out there all the time. He recently made some long post about these things. Like mm -hmm. you're going to have to question everything and all that. And he's dead on, I think, but the way he frames it is particularly this thing that's been going on forever it seems which is this we cannot acknowledge that we are all one it seems because mm -hmm. at least from my experiences and then from my experiences looking at all the ancient texts and reading what other people have said it seems like they're coming to the same conclusion that this kind of law of one exists where it's almost as if God is playing with action figures in the backyard and mm. we're the action figures. You know what I mean? And I, that, those are my experiences. I'm not trying to force them on anybody, but it does. I just ask a lot of questions about, you know, these superhero lives we're living after we leave our meat suits and all that, you know, to me, this is a very alchemical experience. One mm -hmm. doesn't exist without the other, mm -hmm. you know, and especially when it comes to like me, myself and personality, especially if we're all, you know, this one thing. And if that's what's being obfuscated, uh, that would lead me to believe that well, who's doing the obfuscating or the force that's hiding this is actually like God playing hide and seek with himself. I mean, I'm just using that word God to, yeah. of course, sure. you know, in place sure. of something that's unknowable. But sure. you know, sometimes I like to describe it as possibly a a culmination of consciousness, but literally I think that's still coming at it from a selfish human point of view, as if we are the real thing, these personalities that we take on mm -hmm. and we're going to carry some part of these, these person, these individuations to this higher realm. Uh, the, it, for some reason it doesn't jive with 
how the uh, ancient texts are put together and everything to me. I just had a thought when you were speaking that, that was because of what you were saying, but what if God is the earth? Like what if, I mean, it's possible because we all come from the earth and we Mm -hmm. all go back to the earth when we die. So Mm -hmm. maybe the human expression of our consciousness is the individual, but outside of that, it's the place. It's like the mother feeding the baby with the breast. Mm. Like the baby, for the baby, that is the world. That breast yeah. is the world. The mother that's feeding, that is all the world is. And everything else is a distraction from that experience that's happening. So perhaps our mother that's feeding us is this planet that we're on and we are being mesmerized or convinced that these other things around us are the things that are really important when in reality it's this thing that we're standing on that's beautiful i love that it reminds me of alan (laughs) watts talking about uh like how the earth peoples like an apple tree apples you know but also it's still um I think I kind of lost where I was going to go with that, but jump in, man. I'll, I'll, I'll think of it. <laughs> I was just going to say that, that, that kind of sort of constrains it to the physical world. Unless that's, that's what just, I was going to say. Okay. Unless that's <laughs> just the physical manifestation of something that's much more multi-dimensional or multi-frequency. Right. But well, I think we have to, if you don't mind, I think we no, have please. to look at the physical as like the other side of the equal signs. Right. From the math problem. Mm-hmm. And the math problem is that spiritual realm. That It is the wonder. It is the what if. It is the superposition. If you want to use like quantum physics sure. uh, perspective, right? Uh-huh. That's, that's, and that's why I think we, we get presented with the multiverse in a uh, twisted way as well. Right. Because I think multiverse is another perspective on superposition. Mm-hmm. And I've sure. read papers on it and I'm not a physicist, but I, you know, trying to dissect it, at least there are physicists who talk about that correlation and, uh, they bring in like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mandelbrot's, uh, mm-hmm. set, you know, the fractal idea yeah. into that, that idea, which is, you know, triggers a million things and, and stands all my hair up because that's the fractal was one of the biggest revelations of my trips, you know? Sure. It, it's almost a way to look at life, you know? Absolutely. Um, or holographic. So where was I? Um, yeah, the, oh, I lost my train of thought. Where but we don't know there? what the soul of the earth is. So sure. we're, we're saying that the earth is the human or the physical manifestation of itself. Well, what is the soul of the earth then? So that's a good question. Maybe that's just another layer of God. Absolutely. I think, you know, the as above, so below hermetic principle is mm-hmm. like, um, you know, it can be taken a lot of different ways and that's probably on purpose. But, um, you know, the, like you said, the, a, a different layer to God, perhaps, right? Um, what is it? Omnism or pantheism, panentheism, somewhere in there. It's this idea that just everything is God. Any, everything is sentience and everything is God. And, um, you know, I got to a place in my trips, some of my really deep trips, where there was no beer anymore. There was only being mm. the verb. And I've heard Alan Watts and all these other philosophers throughout time talk about that principle that, again, get rid of this. 
what we think of as ego, I, I think, yeah, it's, we have to look at it a little deeper than that because it, it goes be like, even in Buddhism, the self is attachment, mm -hmm. you know, yourself that's possession. Yeah. And, uh, I think, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of all over the place here, but you guys are picking up what I'm putting sure, down. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. The self is something, well, anything that, uh, is not supposed to have, uh, in reality, quote unquote, an inherent meaning in and of itself at all. It's conditional. It all is because right. of the context that it's within. So it's not like something is separate from anything else. It wouldn't exist without everything else that's surrounding it. I don't know if that, exactly. that makes any sense. But it's all awareness. Bingo. That too. So, Bingo. and that is being. Exactly. So this is where I think a, a lot of people get confused with gender politics or identity politics is this idea that they are the center of the universe because of their gender or their identity, whatever identity they have assigned to themselves. When if, the, if they're, I'm just spitballing, if there truly are 8 billion people, that means that there's 8 million identities and that's, mm. or 8 billion identities that, and that's just the humans that's not considering the animal world or the plant world. So right. if you do distill it back into a one, uh, one being, one perception, one reality, that means I've got to love Bill Gates. God damn it. Yeah. Oh yeah. So Fuck. this is where it gets tough. And this is that, that thing where, where people will say shit like, uh, and it's, it even boils down to the atheists like, well, if God, but why would he kill everybody in a tsunami, man? Yeah. yeah. It's like, wow, you're thinking too locally, bro. Yes. Like you're thinking like a puny human. And yeah. that's where we get this like paranoid thing about like these aliens, these gods, these elites, they think we are shit. And yes, a lot of them do on very human levels. I get that. But like when we're reading these ancient texts and looking at like our mythology and stuff, we look at that and we, we think that way. And it's like, well, I think this is the difference between the, the adept, you know, the one that has been initiated and that's a trigger word in, in this community, you know, but those who have been initiated versus those who have not, I mean, it's night and day. It's it in an instant was obvious to me that psychedelics or trauma or perturbation, at least in, of conscious of normal day consciousness was an integral part of becoming an adult back mm. in the day in every single culture. They had their own means of that, whether yeah. it was killing a bear on your own or exactly. surviving 12 days out in the wilderness, whatever exactly. it was. Yeah. Fasting. Not. Fasting. Yes, exactly. Like this was how to become an adult was to literally face your internal self. Exactly. And, you know, I think with psychedelics, with the spiritual aspect, it goes a lot deeper than just killing a bear. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think there are levels to it, um, which is weird to me because you'd think that the experience should just be perfect no matter how you do it. Right. And that calls into question, like, what's more powerful or is something more powerful, like the psychedelics versus meditation versus near death experience? You know, I mean, is it a spectrum? Is it? it is. Uh, I think it is. It, it is. It certainly yeah. is. And uh, I don't know where we're going here, but let me let me say this. Go for it. To me, I call into question, even though I've had really deep experiences and I love talking to near-death experiencers because for some reason I relate mostly to mm -hmm. them. Um, I still wonder if 
everything we are experiencing is still being rationalized, put through the filters of mind. And when we are even able to first reflect on it, it's already something we've put together that is comfortable and logical to us. And I know that's going to fly in a lot of people's beliefs and, and faiths and stuff. And I'm not trying to poke any bears here, but it, it feels like in a simple term, it feels like even all of our transcendental experiences could still be a product of our duality and right. could still be mind. Right. Because even it's, though it feels like we're, we're viewing something exactly. beyond mind. Because we're taxonomists. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's like we get a little uh, model. Yeah in the mail. That's what the psychedelics kind of felt like to me, where it's like, you get to kind of see what this experience is real quick. Yeah. You get to kind of get that whole view, even though you're just one little person right now, you yeah. kind of get that real quick, but that doesn't mean suddenly the Luciferians end up going, Oh, I'm God. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I get it. And they run around thinking nihilistic shit, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. But Sorry, I think I a lot out there, but, but I sure think, but I think, it, but I think what you're saying is that the part of the, the human version of a transcendental experience or a transient experience, something from another level is that we have to go through this process of filing those things in certain uh, parts of the brain and then distilling those things down. And the reason we do that is because maybe some people would go mad. They, they wouldn't Absolutely. be able to take all that information and then uh, digest it and then be able to build a mosque or build a church or write it down or record it in yeah. music because it's too much. Way too much. Yeah. So we just filter what we can handle yeah. or maybe the Absolutely. lesson we need from that experience. That's why you can only bring back so much, I think, is because that's all that is applicable. And it's worrisome when people claim to bring back so much. Mm -hmm. Not always. I'm not saying that it's not possible but when people just come back with all the answers it's like yeah. well that's a big red flag you know sure yeah so <laughs> do you think that dualism is a is a a necessary evil as f because of the physical existence that we live in do you think that that's those two kind of have to go hand in hand i really think it i think it's the way it is i really do i i have i feel like uh, the more i learn and from like, you know, about our history, about humanity, about our behavior, and then juxtapose it with my crazy psychedelic experiences. And what I've learned on that scale, uh, yeah, a lot of times it feels like we're in a, we're in a painting that's absolutely glorious, but we don't see the, the beauty in it. We're just kind of stuck in all the rough parts, you mm -hmm. know, uh, it's perfect the way it is. Nothing is out of place. You know, the energy is is balanced out exactly as it's supposed to be. And it is mm -hmm. every single second of the illusion of time that we experience. Yeah. Um, no matter how many people are quote unquote suffering, uh, I don't know how to, how to uh, rationalize that from a everybody's God point of view. The, the idea, I have a real hard time. My wife and I battle with this a lot together. We kind of avoid the topic, mm -hmm. this idea of I, we chose to be here. And I think there's some element to that. I really do. I think karma is a thing. I think action and reaction and I, there's something to that. Absolutely. But people get so vivid with it. People just create sci-fi Avenger movies out of it. And it, it's, 
it sends up so many red flags to me. It's like, well, you've figured this all out, huh? You've named all your spirit guides. Like I, I can't get behind that necessarily. And I, I'm not saying that it's necessarily wrong. I just think we have to start from base level first. And when we look at like our most precious ancient wisdom, when it comes to consciousness, it does match up with like mathematics and it does all reduce to one. And that one is everything. Or some would argue it even reduces to zero, which is like the source of all integers, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's yeah, it, I, Buddhism talks about the pregnant void, and that's all there really is, mm-hmm. this void of possibility. Yeah. Uh, that to call it an illusion is wrong, but to call it real is subjective. Andy, what a honor and a pleasure it has been to speak with you. You are absolutely fascinating. And I could keep talking and listening to you for many hours. I have totally, totally enjoyed this. And it has been a really, really pleasant surprise. Oh, thank you. I, I'm glad that you, you received this and resonated with it. And Absolutely. all I want, my only goal is to, to get more eyes on these things because mm-hmm. I'm yeah. no expert in anything. And I, I need some validation for a lot of these things. And Absolutely. so the more eyes on it, the better, you know? So if yeah. you guys look into this stuff and you're more fascinated by it and we need to do another part and, for and sure. yeah, we'll, we'll get Dan and Aki Dan involved or something and, yeah. you know, Absolutely. we'll come on and talk deep. Absolutely. So maybe before we go, you can tell the listeners where they can find you and your work online. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on every podcast app under the Deep Share podcast. Uh, You can find me on YouTube and Odyssey under the Deep Share podcast. I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram as just the Deep Share. You can find me on there arguing and provoking UFO Twitter (laughs) and things of that nature. (laughs) Cool. So cool. yeah, that's where I'm at. And you know, uh, if you have any questions or you want to yell at me about stealing your angels away or something, hit me <laughs> up at contact at thedeepshare.com. You've tainted Terrence for me. That's why I'm, we're going to have it out here online. Uh, no, I'm just you know, kidding. Complicit, implicit. I, there's so much digging to yeah. do. And of course there again, is. We, we don't know the end game. So that's, that's absolutely true. It's good to keep <laughs> it open-ended in a sense, I think, because I see just as many people in our quote unquote community get hysterical about just different shit than the other quote unquote side does. So yeah. we're just as apt to delusion as anybody else. How many of us report the news that we tell our audiences not to pay attention to? Yeah, exactly. We pass it on. Well, that part's unavoidable. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> just create a different narrative altogether. It doesn't you don't have to constantly be bouncing and checking in with their narrative. Bingo. I like yeah. it. Good All right, times. fellow podcaster and human being. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank yeah. You so much. What for a joy. Me on. Absolutely. Please Our come pleasure. back. We're going to have to schedule you Likewise. again. Yeah, we'll have to do more fun stuff together. Yes. Yeah. Great to right. Fantastic. You it was yeah, great likewise. to meet you. Have a good rest of your evening, Andy, and I'll let you know when this comes out. You too. All right. Thank you. Yeah, Thank take you. care, brother. Bye, everybody. Andy Rouse. Andy Rouse. <laughs> wow. Live from a theater near you. That was fucking awesome. Yeah, it was good. Wow. It's a great conversation. Yeah. It, you know, I what I like about that conversation is that we have gone down some dark corners and dark alleyways recently um, 
talking about, you know, all of these bad actors and their nefarious agendas. And it was really nice. It was a breath of fresh air to talk to someone about really interesting things. You know, we started in the psychedelic realm and then went on to this just magical journey with him. And I, I really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was good. I liked him. Like I said, what put him on my radar is um, him having a different view on a lot of things that people just seem to parrot. Um, and I think that it's really important to self-reflect and, and question, okay, so I've said this about that. Where did I get that at? Of course, I didn't have direct experience with this narrative. I'm just really passing it along from somebody else because it sounded good, uh, which, you know, I mean, there's something to be said about that. But to put all of your eggs in one basket, I think, can be misleading. And then that can lead to a chain reaction of lots of you know, jumping from one lily pad to another. And before you know it, you're so far away from the actual uh, course of events that, you know, you're, you're just far off base. So I think it's open. It's important to keep an open mind. And one of the ways we do that is to question and be critical of the very things that we aren't simply put. And you're, and you're okay with, uh, Someone maybe nudging Terrence into Terrence McKenna into the the uh, controlled opposition realm. Uh, I think if that one quote is the only thing that is being gone on or based that to base that narrative on, I'm not sure that I I, I think I would have to maybe listen to that again myself and see what the greater context of that is. Uh, uh, besides that, I was thinking that there would be more of a narrative as far as that's concerned, but I don't, I can't say that I, I buy that just yet that, that, that he's a controlled op. And still, like I've said about many of the, much of the music that is supposedly coming from these bad actors or sons and daughters of bad actors, I still have a relationship with that music that goes, that has nothing to do with the background or the greater context of that. So it's about that to me, as it is about that connection that I had with Terrence's information mm -hmm. uh, that I still hold on to, not hold on to, that mean that sounds like I'm I, I would use it as a security blanket or something, but I still think that he has a lot of very interesting things to say. He's a great storyteller and a fantastic articulator. Um, so that doesn't take anything away from that. I mean, I'm not a worshiper. I don't have a Terrence McKenna shrine by any means, but I still, I still respect him and I, I want to hear more. <laughs> I'm open to him being whatever, but I was thinking that there was more to it than just that. Well, there was. I mean, he he went on to say that he he talked about it at length. Uh, so you know, I, mean, I I think I think I have to look at all of the players at that time and what roles all of those players were playing, and we know for a fact because. You know, his wife 
has admitted this, that Timothy Leary was working with the CIA. Oh, Timothy Leary's admitted it. Right. Uh, Gloria Steinem was working with the CIA. You know, a lot of these folks that were very influential during that time period were CIA operatives. Uh, we know that they were working, the MK Ultra program was working through universities throughout the United States and the world. So that being said, it is entirely possible that he was a CIA operative. It's entirely possible that Castaneda was a CIA operative. Um Knowingly or unknowingly, as I said before, it's possible that these experiments were being conducted, research was being conducted, monies were being given to certain uh, professors, to certain doctors, and they didn't realize that that was necessarily CIA money. Carl Rogers, famous psychologist who started the whole group therapy uh, movement. He was a CIA operative. So it's not with, with, it is within the realm of possibility that McKenna was. Um, One just funky sidebar that I didn't mention to Andy, but I know we've talked about before when you interviewed me a couple of years ago, uh, is that when the all of the witches in the Castaneda realm left the United States and left Los Angeles, what I was told is they went to Finland. So when he mentioned in the box saga Helsinki and that being heaven or hell or maybe both, I just found that interesting that of all the places on this planet they would go that they would end up in Finland yeah interesting I don't know what to do I don't have anything I don't know it's freaky though (laughs) Uh, I forgot about the SLM connection too I don't know much about that so I, I can't put I just think that Sometimes we want to put something in the black category and sometimes we want to put something in the white category. And I really think that there's a lot more nuance there than we realize. Um, and, and it's hard to know what amount of nuance there is without actually having been there. So, you know, I don't know. It's just like Leonard Cohen. We're going to interview Ann Diamond on Monday, I believe. And, uh, She's going to have a lot of very hard-to-hear things for Leonard Cohen fans to say about Leonard Cohen. But do I still think his first four albums are incredible? Fuck yes. Yeah, it doesn't ruin that for me. Um, So it just adds an interesting layer. I don't feel like I have to boycott these people necessarily unless I find out they're involved in pedophilia or something like that. That would be different, but... Um, if they were unwittingly involved in a scheme that they weren't hip to or they uh, were misled and, 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 you know, something beyond their, their, their uh, I can't articulate. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is with the information that I have, that doesn't spoil Terrence McKenna for me. I'm open to being, you know, uh, convinced otherwise, but... With the little info that I have, I'm still all right with Terrence. 
Terrence is just all right with me. <laughs> well, I, you know, I know we've talked about this a lot before. Can you separate the art uh, from the artist mm-hmm. or are those two things intrinsically entwined and can't be separated? Yeah. You know, when I first watched Woody Allen films as a child, because I started watching them when I was way too young to be watching them. I remember remember back then thinking, well, this is, you know, I never thought this is problematic, but I thought this is weird that this grown man is having a relationship with a 17-year-old. This is a little strange. Uh, And then as history kind of, you look back in the rearview mirror and other, you know, other things come to light it's interesting to then look back on those films again and say, wow, these are really, there's, Autobiographical. there's issues here. <laughs> and, you know, I think with the music, it's easy to have a little touch of Stockholm syndrome where you just, you don't want to, you don't want to lose the relationship you have, uh, with that time period. And so we associate so much with the music of that time period to our own life experiences. And maybe it's hard to acknowledge the hypnotism or the mesmerism of those uh, songs, of those lyrics, of that music. And so it's possible that you're experiencing some of that as well. Um, but I, that, you know, that doesn't mean that that invalidates your experience. It just it means I'm that totally fine with my experience. It just means that for you, that hypnotism is important to you and you don't want to let go of it. And, and that's, that's your journey, you know, that no one is here to tell you that's right or wrong. Okay. Let me comment on it. Okay. Uh, to call it hypnotism, I believe, is subtly sort of condescending. It's not at all. I it mean, is because music is hypnotizing. It, sure, absolutely. It's a spell, just like movies are spells, mm-hmm. um, images and music. But yeah. if these songs to me, were, for instance, were telling me what my values should be, uh, who I should be loving, what I should find important, what I should be pledging my allegiance to. They were giving me instructions for how to live my life about things. Then that would be a different story. But they are. They are. I don't think that they are in a substantial way. Listen I feel to like Gino Vanelli. I, I don't know. I mean, the name sounds familiar. She but. was 15 years old. <laughs> Make, I, I don't know that song, but it doesn't yeah, make me want to gro- go out and get a 15-year-old. Right, but he's a grown man that's singing that song, that's talking about being with someone who's an underage person. Like, um, okay, yeah. I don't recall liking a song that has to do with that. Uh, Nick Lowe, Hot Child in the, in the City. It's not Nick Lowe. Nick Gilder. <laughs> Nick Gilder. <laughs> Hot child in the city, running wild and looking pretty. I, I think that's, again, that's being too literal. I don't think he's meaning a child. I think that's like, just like uh, what's, there's a voodoo child, the the Jimi Hendrix song. Right. I think he's talking about a child, like a 
like an adolescent? I, I don't think so. I'm choosing not to take it that way. Yeah. So then it doesn't have it doesn't affect me that way. Nor am I going to take my cues about how to behave from fucking rock and roll songs. So there's stories just like anything else. So I'm a sophisticated discerner of the stimulus that I take in. Right. And but were you when you were 12? Uh, no, not as much, obviously. But I wasn't going out and... and Trying to find groupies. Running to, wild and looking pretty. For, yeah, for instance. <laughs> so it never applied to me. Those were like works of fiction to me. They weren't yeah. like lessons. I didn't feel like I was sitting at the feet of my teacher when I was listening to Kiss records, for God's sakes. I knew that it was outlandish behavior that I had no desire to imitate. And it was like, this is so bigger than life. Not something I should be working towards, but fun to listen to it like comic books. Right. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's my. I don't feel like I have to apologize for no liking Led Zeppelin. You. No one's asking. Uh, yeah, you I know. I'm just saying that in general. Some people like hear about this stuff and they feel like they've got to keep away and and poo poo everything that had to do with Laurel Canyon. And well, okay. So just touching on that slightly before we wrap up because mm-hmm. we both have things to do. Um, I am friends. And have been very closely associated with someone who was at Laurel Canyon in that time period. And she talked about the grooming of children to be with rock stars. Now we're talking about 13-year-old little girls. We're talking about 14-year-old little girls that were fucking Jimmy Page and fucking Robert Plant. And having relationships and affairs with grown men that were brought into basically, you know, I don't want to use the term trafficked, but they basically were being trafficked so that these little girls could have relationships, sexual relationships with grown men. Okay. So I I think it's easy to try to dis disconnect or disassociate yourself from that stuff but it does not mean that that behavior was not problematic of course not i'm not saying that at all it has nothing to do with the night i listened to physical graffiti over and over and over again in an arizona valley as this (laughs) as the moon went over the slowly rippling lake that i was sitting in front of it's a great memory like has nothing to do with who what groupie robert plant fucked like I don't associate the two. I don't, it's like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's, maybe that's, I'm just justifying. I I don't feel like I'm taking, I'm purchasing that sort of behavior by listening to that music. But you're funding it by buying the record. I pirate that shit, yo. (laughs) I go to used record stores and... I'm too much of a cheapskate to buy that stuff new. And how much money do they get from it anyway? The groupies have already been fucked. Like, Aww. <laughs> many of them write, That's a bummer. write, write, write uh, uh, memoirs looking yeah, many fondly of them back killed on those themselves. <laughs> but many of them, I didn't say all of them. I just said many of them. Like I was 14 and I fucked David Bowie and I don't regret it. And I thought it was one of the best experiences of my life. Like, where are those stories in the media? 
Oh my God! I can't believe we're, we've gone down this rabbit hole. I do not consent to any of that. Of someone at fourteen looking back at as an adult and saying that was the best experience. You that, don't have to. Consent that to it. that adult should have not fucked that fourteen year old. <laughs> that adult should have been like, "Where are the thirty five year old women here in the room that I can fuck? Because there's plenty of hot ones in here. So why don't I fuck one of them as opposed to fucking a child?" All That's right. my line. I'm sorry. You know why are you sorry? Because I feel like like you're defending someone who engaged in bad behavior. I don't think so. I'm just divorcing that from the artwork. You're defending their art. I'm not defending their art. Okay. Uh, Well, yeah, maybe defending their art, but not defending their lifestyle. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's good. I like that. I can can hang my hat on that. I can not associate the two. If I were going out and giving them money or funding them in some way, then I would feel directly connected to it. But I don't feel directly connected to gotcha. it. Gotcha. I grew up with that shit. I don't feel like it taught me to be a horrible human being. I have fond memories of it and, and the things that were happening while I was listening to that music. That's what I base my assessments on. I got it. That makes sense. Thank you. Oh, I hope. People still like us, or like me, after I've what am I saying? Oh, they love you. Everyone loves you. It's fine. I felt like Howard Stern there for a little bit, so I apologize to people. I just, sometimes I I say things that even sometimes sound or feel controversial to me to just see if I'm full of shit, just to get it out there and go, okay, how would another human being react to me saying this? And, and... Maybe put it into perspective for me in a way that I'm not taking the time to do it myself. With. All all I'm saying is that part of this psyop, part of the MK Ultra mind control psyop, was uh, normalizing of course sex with children. For sure, and a lot of that was happening. So for me, I can't separate the art from the artist to me these are problematic men that were um, aided by many women many women were helping this stuff happen and that's where I divorce myself from that stuff it's like you know what I don't need to be a part of that I don't need to listen to that music I know I know the seed of where this was and what was happening and I know some of these people, and I find, I find them uh, not to be good people. Okay. And many of them hide behind religion now, which I find very curious. Leonard Cohen included. Yeah. All right. I'm excited to talk to Ann Diamond. Yeah, it'll be a great conversation. We've gone on much longer, much, much longer than we had anticipated. Yeah. But it's all cool. I'm going to take my final. You're going to put the chickens in. We're going to say goodnight yeah. to our son. And he goes to bed in two minutes. No, we can let him stay up for another halfie. He'll be fine. A little half hour. No, we can't. <laughs> it's Friday night. Come on. Where's your rock and roll spirit? Don't tickle me. Okay. Thank you for listening. Uh, I am in the process. <laughs> Don't do that. I'm in the I process. do it on film, too. I know you did, but there's no film involved.
I'm in the process of uploading all of our usually Patreon-only material to locals, which I think will be a more hospitable place. They will be in both places until we get kicked off of Patreon, which I do think is probably inevitable at some point. Um, so, yes, I will be, after all of that stuff is posted, check for the links uh, below everything else, and you can find us there if you don't want to contribute to Patreon and what they're about. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you patrons for helping to make this podcast possible and allowing us to grow it the way that we have. Uh, my goal is to manifest this as, uh, something I can commit to full time along with documentary making. And, uh, yes, this, you think it's good now. It could be so, so much better. And so now would be the time to subscribe while it's still $3 because I'm going to raise it to $5 before the end of the year. So anything else to add? Protect the children. That's Protect the have. children. Protect the children. That's what we're here to do. That's the only thing. Love Mother Earth. And yeah, that's all I got. Okay. I wrote it down. <laughs> Now I'm just slap happy. I'm yes, I'm being silly. I and love you guys. Thank yes. you. If you would like to get a hold of us to suggest guests, anything else, casserole recipes that we can't eat right now with our current diet, but our kids can, um, or praise, blame, whatever. Uh, the Melt Podcast at protonmail dot com. Hunter hyphen Muse at protonmail dot com. Thank you all for listening. Uh, hopefully you got something positive from this and uh, disregard everything I said afterwards. Please. <laughs> okay. Much love. Bye. Meow, 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 To hear the full-length version of this episode, get access to exclusive and early episodes, and participate in our monthly Zoom meetups for as little as $3 per month, just click the Patreon link in the episode notes or visit patreon.com slash themeltpodcast. Contributing financially will help to make this podcast my full-time gig that I can devote more time to and allow me to create more content. Other ways of contributing would be giving us a favorable review or rating wherever you get your podcasts, subscribing to us on YouTube, spreading the word wherever you and your tribe congregate, or just by sending us your positive thoughts and intentions. In a quantumly intertwined and holographic multiverse, these also go a long way. Thank you. <laughs>